If punk had the 100 Club in Oxford Street, if horse racing has Aintree, what would be the single pivotal destination and event that's come to symbolise an entire social content creator movement? Well, I would argue it's Sitsi. Formerly Summer in the City, now rechristened as Social in the City, it's gone from one central event in London that over the years has got bigger and bigger and bigger to now two events. And I wanted to understand a bit about the movement, a bit about the planning and the background of Cincy. So who better than to get Tom Burns. Now, Tom is not only a social content creator himself, but he's also founder of Social in the City. And during the next 40 minutes or so, we're gonna ask Tom about how he got started with the event, he's still a young guy, how he's grown the event, and the sort of things that have made the event successful over its over 10 year history. As ever, I'll ask you to share this podcast with anybody who you uh, think would benefit from it. Do give me any feedback. I'm at James Erskine on Twitter, or you can get in touch with us at We Are Rocket across most social platforms. And um, enjoy the interview where we ask Tom Burns. We get to know him a bit, find out his background, find out what motivates him and a bit about his work. And then we ask Tom Burns, social content creator and event director of Sitsi, for his rocket fuel. Tom Burns, founder of Social in the City and a social content creator. Thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thanks for having me. Tom, you and I know each other professionally. We've worked together over the years in various different ways. But for the benefit of the listener, why don't you bring your journey to life? How have you ended up where you are now? In all honesty, <laughs> I stumbled off and stumbled into it and started as a hobby um, you know, years and years ago, uh, over a decade ago now, before Sits even started, I was making YouTube videos just for fun on the side with some friends. I found myself eventually immersed naturally as you do with the online community through uh, small gatherings that started to emerge, um, made some friends, wanted to somewhat selfishly hang out and see those friends because at the time, you know, we're all younger, we're spread across the country. Uh, for more than one day at a time. So uh, uh, yeah, on the side of creating content and uploading video for fun, videos for fun, um, I created Social, well, Summer in the City at the time, um, which started out as an event for 300 people in the field publicly, um, very popular. So we just redid it again, 500, then 1,000. Then we moved to our first venue. Then uh, that packed out was the brewery in Chiswell Street uh, near the Barbican. Uh, then we had to move to Alexandra Palace, we packed out Alexandra Palace, um, lovely venue, very old venue. And it sort of like got this prestigious feel of like the people's palace. Uh, we had queues going around the building, people queuing from 3 a.m. Um, and then we moved to London XL. The Ali Pali days, like they're lovely and they were the pivotal days of Sitsi. And I think this community at the same time, it was, the, it was around the time that YouTube definitely had this boom and stopped being like this sort of like nerdy thing that you were made fun of for uploading to and suddenly became the cool thing. And oh, mm. look at these YouTubers, very relatable. I want to be a YouTuber, which was amazing. And it was definitely the turnaround of the industry. Um, fast forward a few more years, we've uh, this year we were approaching the 12th uh, Social and City. Uh, we rebranded last year from Summer and City to Social and City to be more encompassing to a wide range of social networks and move away from just being seen as just a YouTuber event as we were founded in. Um, 
obviously what's happening now is uh, we've postponed that to next year, but we still do have our winter event, fingers crossed, going ahead this year. And we're looking at many ways we can continue to work with creators and communities to support the creator world. Well, come on to get into the nuts and bolts of Sitsi in a second. But in terms of you, Tom, your role, I mean, as, as a percentage, how much time does Sitsi take up? But you're still making content as well, aren't you? Yeah, so until like the working days, Monday to Friday, it takes up sort of my entire week, working week. Sitsi is focused on event planning, invitations, creator outreach, constantly researching um, new creators and trying to discover new creators from a range of different backgrounds and uh, topic genres, looking into um, constantly updating myself on the creators we do work with in terms of like growth numbers and even things like taste and decency because as this, um, the online space moves very rapidly, especially with some of the things that have happened over the past years, it's very good to be aware of where people stand in terms of what type of content they're producing and to not be afraid to, you know, it sounds quite blunt, remove someone from an event or not work with them any longer if they're not going to be great. But then it also helps us because we do find through the event, we work with many brands and we can advise brands on people who are safe. We tend to shy away from being like, you know, slamming someone being like don't touch that person but it enables us to give a a, you know a good nod and a bit of like a a good backing to people so i'm i'm aware that content creators are entrepreneurs but forgive me this is a this is an events business this is a social business where does where, where does your business brains come from i mean have you had a mentor is this stuff you've soaked up along the way how how's that worked very much things um, I had to soak up along the way. Uh, so me and my uh, former business partner, partner David Billis, uh, we, <laughs> the event kind of grew. So I was doing, came out of university, got my degree, went into full-time web development, which is what I'd been studying to do as a developer, loving it, had a great time. And back then I was doing Sitsi on the side. So pretty much I would come home from work and my entire evening would be a mixture of Sitsi, briefly seeing friends, briefly Skyping people. Um, and maybe if I'm lucky, uploading a YouTube video um, or producing some content of my own but increasingly rarer due to the time strains um on the back of that eventually had to stop doing web development focus on city full time and throw myself into the deep end of learning how to do events over the years we've worked with various event agencies um who have helped us with background knowledge of like you know venue policies venue contracts but everyone that's come along the way we sort of like you sponge it up you learn it you go along but you're still in the driving seat so we very much had to take that um, ownership of how the event was going and my I think my experience came from a mixture of at the time yeah you know, sounds silly but university lecturers seeing how they would handle and lead the classrooms and my employers um, from web development having started as their first employee of a company at the time of four people mm. um, you know the two directors and they hired me and some, me and um, one of my uni friends it was interesting to see how they handled that small business and really managed it and grew it and cultivated that culture. And I think it was really valuable for me to gain that sort of like exposure because it really helped me then moving into pushing my own business as a solo small business that wasn't just, um, you know, trying to dive straight in the deep end. When you, when you're building your business and are there qualities you look for in, in your colleagues and people around you, who do you like to work with? Um, so from my side, yeah, I, I guess from the event side and also from, I, I guess, from a side in terms of like social media content creation, it's very much what I'm ingrained in now. I look for anyone who's passionate about the space, anyone who understands community, uh, people who are you know willing to dive in and actually research and understand content creators. 
people who aren't looking confused at spaces if it's something that's too young for them or too new because if you're never too young to dive into this and understand it you can always ingrain and jump into anything and learn anything if you immerse yourself i think that's the key thing it's people who are passionate about what's happening online are very proactive and not trying to necessarily shoot it down as a quick fad or oh it'll burn out in a few years or oh they'll get older and fall out of that you're tom it could be argued you're one of the old guards in the uk in terms of influencers in terms of social content creators and you've always there's there's kind of a community there's a number of names that i'd associate with you and the sitsy crowd and i know that's always growing and and morphing i was going to ask this in the next section but as you brought up the community how do you think the community's changed is it more diverse is it more all over the place how's the social content creator community different now than it once was bigger is the best way to go of it um obviously back when we first started i said uh, previously like i felt that the community was very much like a sort of like pocket secret you were a, a geek and nerd you could be made fun of for making youtube videos then it became cool but still it was more sort of idolized super fan culture and now we're moving to this stage where you know more and more people are feeling empowered to create content they're passionate anyone can pick up a phone and create content i mean look at tiktok um, you know, the majority of people on TikTok, whether they're consumers or fans, they're still creating their own content. I mean, you see families on there creating content with kids. So I think it's just, it's very bigger. It's definitely splintered in many ways in the sense that, you know, we had our core online community, which still exists. It's growing and expanding, but there are subsets and I don't want to use the word clicks, but definitely circles forming within it and pockets like you have your London groups, you have your Brighton groups, you have your LA and American groups and there'll be crossovers. Mm. Um, but it's definitely going that way and it's hit and miss. Sometimes you'll see the it step back and come together. And I think that's why the events are great because they do sort of give that push for people to come together and meet and um, connect with one another. And also, you know, to go on a business sense for brands, I think because of, you know, with the community growing so much, it's very easy to not see many subsets of the community and many people within the community. So I think the events we run and um, many things that happen enable brands, fans, um, other creators to be exposed to new people they might not be aware of and hopefully continue to grow that core community relation. Tom, you're passionate about work. Are you any good at switching off? <laughs> oh, terrible. I'm very bad at switching off. I think over the past year, um, I've been making more of a conscious, conscious effort to try to a lot more. Um, over, I think it's now about a year um, and a half old, uh, me and my wife started a new YouTube channel called Dorky Ever After, which is a uh, sort of fun little collaborative channel. Um, she, she, she has her own channel with four, over 400,000 subscribers, which is phenomenal. Um, I have a channel that I personally very rarely upload to that stuck around 50,000 subscribers. Um, and Dorky sort of this nice thing that's been a good way to sort of like step back and not get too ingrained in it and give me a distraction, but also feel like I'm part of the community again, creatively and remember my roots. Um, but outside that, I'm, you know, I'm a terrible workaholic. Um, I, you know, I, I have a Lego set on my floor at the Millennium Falcon that's actually been sat there for a year um, waiting for me to add the turret in the middle, which is the final step. <laughs> nice. Good analogy. Final question in this bit, Tom, and it's a bit of a tough one for people to answer. But what are you known for? Professionally, what are you known for, would you say? I think nowadays, um, definitely professionally known for Sitsi and, and for a long time I've been professionally known for so, you know, Sitsi, Summer and City, Social and City, for organising online gatherings and events. Um, 
yeah, I've, I've been the go-to person that many people have come to who ask for advice around working with creators um, and, you know, in the event space and sort of who's right and wrong as well as many old, you know, creators will often come to me asking advice on like old things that have happened in terms of years and years ago, maybe dramas or trends and stuff because of, I think to some, I'm also seen as like this person who's been around for a very long time now, um, despite only being 29, but then only 29 is definitely older in comparison with many of the emerging creators nowadays. So I'm still here with Tom Burns. He's the founder of SitC or Social in the City. He's also a social content creator himself. Section two of this chat is going to be all about getting under the skin, finding out what makes SitC work and what makes it tick. You've mentioned the kind of origins of some a few hundred people in a park initially. You've you've mentioned the growth. I suppose, Tom, the first thing I want to say it's is it twelve years you said or ten years? So this year would have been the twelfth year of Sitsi. Twelfth year. Um, Hopefully, will be if we get the winter event. But um, yes, it was a long time. What your aims you've already mentioned when you started were to fix this in the community. Have the aims shifted as the years have gone on and as the scale has increased? And have you met those aims? So obviously initially it was very much to bring together community for multiple days and help give a place for people to come together, um, a safe space for people to gather and you know, meet creators. But also you know, back then when it first started, it was a very different aim because you had like Dan and Phil um, on the second and third year of Sitsi, for example, in the field with us, just casually hanging around with everyone, sat around talking, maybe a few people talking, people bringing people innocently, cupcakes, sitting down playing ukulele in a park, no mad rush of like long queues. Um, now I think it's become, you know, and over the years especially, it's shifted um, to ensure that the community is still being pushed big time and that, you know, we don't lose sight of this amazing online community we have and everything we've built because there are some amazing people out there doing some amazing things. But also to, you know, through the event, I'm very passionate about raising awareness of working with creators in the right way and exposing brands to who might not be within the space to get involved. Um, one long-term goal I've had, and you know, obviously it's evolving a lot as more and more brands are diving in naturally anyway, was to you know, ensure brands understood what's happening here and the value of working with creators and didn't just brush off creators because of, you know, we were looking a few years ago at a situation where in the USA you had so many brands like diving in like Mentos or the car companies what, doing some amazing big brand deals with creators. But in the UK, the same brands and their same you know, agencies over here were just not as switched on. You had many... Um, PR companies and such who would look at creators and go, okay, we'll send you this free gifted thing. But they'd mention being paid. And the second they ask, you know, even if they ask if there's any budget involved, they wouldn't either get an email back or they'd be written off the lists in some cases. So I think it's through that, it's, it's driving through that monetary um, drive to actually benefit content creators and bring into the industry and help grow the industry um, because I think it's very important. We also, you know, through the event, for example, when we do work with brands, we, we're really big pushers of like, we want them to do brand ambassadorships. We want them to work with creators. We drum through the benefit of them working with creators on the back of this. We try to make sure they're coming down with it in mind, source who they can work with and who they can look to work with. On the flip side, on the fan side, um, it's still providing that safe space and that inspiration because if, at the end of the day, uh, we can have all these top creators and like sometimes platforms will control who the top creators are to an extent via algorithms and pushing things out there. 
but we still need that discoverability, which is why we have um, you know, our small creators panels. We ensure small creators are included on different panels. And you know, we bring the fans together in a community way where we, we always push that it's a safe place to meet fans. It's a safe place to come together with like-minded people. And hopefully through the panels and activities, it's a place to go away from inspired, wanting to create your own content and maybe become the next content creator. I mean, several creators we've had on our small YouTubers panels are now you know, within the core community, some of the top creators we look at. Yeah. And I mean, so part event, part trade union for the uh, social content creator <laughs> <Yeah>. place. <laughs> but why don't we break it down for the benefit of the listener, right? So now it's at the Excel or it, or, or it was due to be this summer. I think I've, did I go to the last one at Ali Pali? I think I did. But anyway, I've, I've been with you for the Excel years. So you might say <laughs> Johnny come lately. But you get there and the first thing you realise is the vastness, right? So two halls, kind of a daytime hall and a nighttime hall. And then the, there are stages around there. There's a gaming stage, a parenting stage, and then there's panels around the sides as well. Um, what, what have I missed out? What else goes on at a Sitsi event? Uh, so <laughs> we threw in a fun fair just to give people yes, something to do on the side. Um, there are uh, meet and greets, which um, end up becoming a huge part of the culture um, online. Um, it's a bit of a hit and miss. Some people like it, some people don't. Um, but, you know, this rolls back to the Ali Pali days where we had the queues from 3M. We would have problems where people would be queuing um, from 3M because they wanted to meet the top creators, which at the time were Zoella, Casper uh, Lee and such, you know, the meet and greets. Their lines would fill the second the doors opened and you'd kind of be there like, okay, cool. And the whole day is telling people they can't meet the person because of the line filled up at, you know, within minutes of the doors opening. So mm -hmm. we introduced like a ballot system, which is a fair mm -hmm. draw system on the back of that. Um, which you know, is weird, but I see it as another feature of the event in itself. Um, we have craft fairs where we bring in like independent artists to show off their crafts and wares. We have creator villages where creators can you know, sell the merchandise, sign merchandise, and also meet people on a more flexible basis. We have the expo hall where exhibitors can come down. Uh, last year, we introduced a podcast and content theater. Um, uh, Logitech were involved in the launch of that one. Um, and it's basically, it was, you know, it was in Excel's uh, suite area, which was lovely. And it meant that creators could record live podcasts with a live audience. So we, we wanted to provide that. So, cause not, yeah, it's not something you can easily do. Um, no, whilst sure. your audience is there, let's give them a place to go and record a live podcast. Tom, give me a flavor of the, of the size of the event. I mean, I know it's two events, one London, one Birmingham. Uh, how many people come? We have around 11,000 attendees at the event in summer. Um, and in our Birmingham event, we had about 5,000 people um, at this show this year for the debut show, which completely blew us away, if I'm honest. <laughs> we were anticipating a first show of about, you know, 3,000, 2,000 sort of people at the show. And it exploded, partly, not going to lie, because of, you know, we... TikTok has shifted back to a complete throwback of the original community. We had many people in the hall... Um, much like the early field days, just queuing up, hanging out with fans, not being backstage and just having a really good time. Um, but no, the events, are, that's sort of the growth of the events. And just one question on that. And you've mentioned London and Birmingham. Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever had the opportunity to take Sitsi abroad to overseas? So we had some, um, we've been approached by some people in the past. We had uh, Abu Dhabi approach us <laughs> to do uh, bring the event over there. Um, I think probably around the same time they were no doubt talking to VidCon. Um, mm. It's not something we decided to pursue at the time, if I'm honest, um, for a range of different reasons. Um, 
also having spoken to some members of the community because of some values we have with different panels and some things we wouldn't have been able to do um, with an event that we have in UK events um, over there, unfortunately. Um, beyond that, you know, I think not heavily. I'm not adverse to it. And I think like, if anything, it's more selfish side of things. Like every now and again, I'll look at different markets where there might be a gap in events. I'll be like, oh, I'd love to do an event there. I've had the opportunity or if anyone who works out there wants to do an event, I'd happily go help them launch an event. Um, like for example, some of the Asian markets, for example, and stuff. But then there are many people where, uh, many, sorry, many places where it's just so diluted now between like tours for TikTok creators, <laughs> tours for YouTubers, tours for this. Because it's not just about the big events. There are, there are smaller scale events happening. There are even industry marketing hubs out there that are you know, often in many ways bigger than VidCon. And what determines the content of Sitsi? I mean, is it that are you want? Is it insights, spreadsheets, research? Do you do you send a survey to everybody that's been attending, finding out what they like? Is it gut feel? Is it money from brands? All of the above. How how do you it's, piece it yeah. together? It, it's 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 a big mix, if I'm honest. But it it very much is like being immersed in the space, constantly um, staying on top of what important topics there are, ensuring there's a good mix of important messages, and you know being on the tone and the pulse of what the creators are talking about at that you know, moment in time, and also what panels are important um, and discussions are important to keep year on year. For example, dis diversity discussions, uh, you know, women on YouTube discussions, but then also expanding those discussions in ways that's more meaningful. So, you know, at the past year, we've been looking at how we can build those. So it's not just you know, a women on YouTube or a women online panel. It's not just a diversity panel. It's not just a, yeah, a female gamers panel it's adding those creators to a range of different panels and have their voices on all those panels, um, which is very important. Outside of that, it's a mixture of like, you know, creators will sometimes request topics. They'll ask to do something, they'll ask to do a presentation. They'll say they're very passionate about something. It's watching creators content. You know, cause we, if we're inviting them as guests. We're, we're, we're always watching their content and we're keeping an eye on what they're doing and we're, we're you know, immersed in what they're uploading. So it's also creating content that's relevant to what they're doing because of, we know their audience is coming to see them and also engage. So we need to make sure that people can enjoy that content live. And but it's, it's a fine line because you don't want to be too like um, shouty um, yeah. or too laid back and fun. So it's keeping that balance as well. Are there creators that now won't do Sitsi? Is it seen as a rite of passage? Do you get creators at a certain time in their journey or do you have old family friends coming back? doing do you know what i mean do some people love it and some people hate it i mean you know as with anything in any event there's always going to be people that love and hate it there are creators who actively you know do not like city um and i think there are creators who actively don't like many of the other youtube events and online events for similar reasons um people will grow out of the event people let's face it they they, they can be very busy and it's it, mm. it is time to take out um some people may see it as like less return on them and look at the event in terms of, oh, there's more return on the event, um, which you know, on that note, I, I'm very open with people in many s s cases where it's like the event is, you know, isn't a gigantic profit machine as it stands. And it's always been, um, you know, it's not one of those things where we've been raking in profits from creators. If anything, we've been trying to provide a space that's safe for them to meet, um, you know, engage with fans, and have all these opportunities without having to go through the stress and strain of doing it themselves. Um, Cause yeah, so much involved like security, venue hire, um, all different safety planning, logistics, timing, you know, a lot of time goes into it. Um, but 
I, I think there are a range of different views, but equally there are so many people that do love the event and are very passionate about it. Mm. Um, some people might not come because they're busy that year. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily something everyone will block out of their um, calendar. And if you've got a brand piece of work or a paid trip or something, 100%, you know, creators should be taking that um, at the first instance and as soon as they can. But um, no, there are definitely set, uh, groups of people online who um, <laughs> aren't as necessarily fond of Sitsi for various reasons, but it, 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 it could be, you know, anything from like money to um, balance and, you know, Everyone yeah. has their own view, but then there's also a flip side where we can't explain it to them easily. Sure. And what mistakes do you think you have made with Sitsi? Is there anything you look back on saying we shouldn't have done that? Is there a, a something you you went in a direction and had to come back from it? Um, I think the so, you know yeah you know, hindsight I think I think some of the things are like there are some things where sometimes I get very caught up on morals and I will um, have not let, you know, we will avoid inviting creators um, for certain things that have happened in the past um, just because they don't sit very well with people we have on our lineup or the core community. And, you know, it has upset and offended people. Uh, next minute, those people might be the next biggest YouTubers or next biggest creators. And obviously we've not built that relation with them or not invited them back. Um, so sometimes there's a level of like, um, because, you know, it's, it's not even that they're the biggest ones we want to invite them back. It's that they're a few years later, it's all accepted and fine as if yeah. nothing was there. We've obviously not spoken out or fallen out with them directly, but there's also that lack of relation. So I do, I do regret that sometimes. Um, I also, you know, sometimes regret not being early days of it and probably more proactive um, from an industry point of view. But then at the same time, you know, I started this event 17, 18, <laughs> um, <laughs> very young. And it was a time when the industry was very much, you know, you had your MCNs and a lot of, you know, older people mm. steering the wave of things. Um, and there are days where we were perhaps not as um, savvy and taken advantage of a little bit by some uh, of the, you know, now defunct companies that have, have actually gone and passed on um but it was just unfortunate because of it's one of those things where I, I i do look back and wish i'd had a bit more um you know savviness with it and realized the genuine power we had with the event not in a bad way but in the yeah. sense of like it had a lot of influence and i don't think we used that against the company sometimes was there a stage that when did it start taking you by surprise? Because obviously it's massive. Obviously it's now two big events a year. I, I wanted to ask you how big did it, can it get? But also when did you think, oh God, I never thought something like this would happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think it was Ali Pali days. I think it was you know, that moment where the big queues were there and we had, um, you know, it went from being a very happy community event where everyone was happy, chilled, laid back, having a good time. And it was, it was, it was fun. And it's always fun to organize, but it, it, it was enjoyable. We put something on and everyone would come and we, we ourselves would also enjoy the weekend. That year there were green room dramas. Who's allowed backstage? Who isn't allowed backstage? <laughs> there were dramas around, um, you know, who could meet who. And it, it's heartbreaking because you, you just want to make everyone happy when you're doing that. And, you know, we were at that time still very much doing it for the fun of it. And it's like, yeah, that's the pivotal point. I think the Ali Pali days where, yeah, they were fun. They were very good, but there was a lot of drama and stress involved around those days and a lot of probably fallouts within people in the community. Us, a lot of people looking at Sitsi thinking, oh, it's terribly organized when, um, yeah, it wasn't our, the height of our organization those years. Mm. But then um, sometimes we find that people don't come back to give it another chance or look at it again when, you know, I, I do think it's a very well-run event now, especially in comparison to many others that are out there. Mm. Um, it's just, I think it's just time and unfortunate and sometimes opinions stick. Um, reputationally, do you think social media or, or influencers 
have prob a problem, a kind of communication problem. And what do you think Sitsi does to counter some of those reputational issues? I think back, um, you know, definitely earlier days of Sitsi, we had this issue. Um, and again, this is, this is entirely personal opinion here, where, and this is also as me as someone who was younger at the time, um, a lot of people were being given a voice and a platform um, very rapidly growing. And there was no sort of training and no real assistance in terms of how to uh, handle PR, how to properly voice things online. And I think a lot of mistakes were made and a lot of things were done the wrong way. A lot of um, fans were maybe encouraged to be a bit overly super fan in a certain way that had knock-ons and then it was reversed to where it's like, okay, no, you guys are getting a bit too close to us personally now. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, that's the main thing that it's evolved and shifted over time as people have definitely learned a lot more. Um, but I do think that there's an immediate knock on with social media where unfortunately there's a stigma around it. When people look at it, it's like a bunch of young people doing silly things because if mm. the media will also cover, you know, the media will cover a lot of um, what's happening in terms of the dramatic things a lot more than the positive things or a lot more than like the young people have done this and gone to this extreme and proactively done this. So it's, it's a tough one, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I think from my side, I see a lot much more of a problem with it earlier days than I do now, because I think it's become so normalized. And yeah. um, back then there wasn't really an example to see of people who had gone for it before you. Um, there weren't really the mistakes and every, you know, the, the wild West analogies often given by people in the industry. But I think for the creators, it really was like the wild West because they're having to navigate this. Yeah. Um, without any, you know, it, it wasn't even comparable, I think, to mainstream media. They're having to navigate it and find their own way and also go against many people who are almost scared of social media and scared of, like, what it was going to take away from them. And it was, you know, if anything, it's a, it's a complementary thing to everything online. We both know that. How old is the average Sitsi uh, customer that comes... Um, so it's, it's shifting. Um, we've got sort of got a wide range of average ages, but we, we sort of tend to look around sort of 17, sort of 21 is sort of wide okay. of ages is the core audience sort of like your yeah, older teens to young adult. Um, but it does stem either way. We do have younger creators coming on, um, especially mm. with platforms like TikTok, many younger, um, consumers coming to the show. Um, but we also have older ones because if every year someone comes back, they're obviously getting a year older. And as long as they're sticking with the event and the community, that's staying. Um, as more creators are getting involved, you know, they don't turn 18 and stop being a content creator and vanish. They're still involved in that regard. Yeah. Um, and also inspiring, you know, a, a lot of people who are parents um, at the shows now br are bringing their kids down, um, you know, who are attending the first sitsies without kids um, <laughs> as like our 18, 19 year old content creators. So the, the broad age range. You touched upon TikTok. Has the meteoric rise of TikTok surprised you in terms of its user growth? Is there, um, is there I suppose, a couple of questions. One, does anything surprise you? <laughs> Has TikTok <laughs> surprised you? And also, is there a bit of you as a social content creator yourself uh, that is like, oh, no, not another platform? <laughs> um, so, obviously, to answer the last thing first, the old no, not another platform it's, I, I don't really ever go in with that attitude towards new platforms. They tend to see how they go and flourish. I've, I can be a bit pessimistic at times in terms of new platforms where there are often many out there and I won't get overly invested or overly into it. I'll keep an eye on it, but mm. until you see it really uh, taking traction or people going onto it, it's questionable because the amount of 
platforms I've seen where creators have been given brand deals, for example, and they're paid X amount per post to upload to that platform as well as their main platform or before their main platform. And that's the only reason they're doing it. And their audience mm. doesn't go across there. And then once that brand deal's done, those creators are not staying on that platform. Um, on the flip side, TikTok, um, I think is, you know, it's kind of like your vines and every now and again, you'll have a platform that will come along that will stick and join the foray of platforms now. Um, I don't think it's limited or there's like a limited space. And I think TikTok has definitely proven that there's always a hunger for a new place for creators to get a new platform for a complete shakeup of who the biggest creators are on a different platform and for young people to come in. Um, caught me off guard a little bit as I think it did. Um, for example, last year's summer event, TikTok um, was not that big in comparison. Mm. And then suddenly between summer and winter, um, it exploded. Um, so it was a very, very rapid growth. And now it's like, you know, you can't go out on the street without hearing someone talk about a TikTok. It's, it's, but it's almost like back when Vine was around, it was like this thing that many people, whether they're creators or not, just within their personal communities are talking about and using. Um, but you know, I look at it very positively. I, I personally, I think it's good. Um, caught me off guard a tiny bit. Um, I'm just happy to see a brand new generation of creators come through and people inspired. I do know that, and you know, there was a lot of stigma around TikTok with wider creators early days. And I think that, you know, is a mixture of exhaustion for, Oh, another platform I have to go after, but also, um, weirdly, uh, you know, initially touted and seen as like a platform just for little kids and dances yeah. and things uh, which it obviously is no longer seen as and and they would massively refute that that was ever their objective they are very i mean we've asked them to speak on one of our panels and because our regular panel events are called speaking the language of youth they are not prepared to touch it because they don't want to be seen as a youth platform no matter what the demographics yeah, say Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they're doing like blogosphere, um, you know, they're doing like MTV elements and stuff. Mm. So definitely is it more visible in a range of different um, non-youth um, sectors, if anything, than some of the other platforms. Having spoken to Tom Burns' event uh, executive, having spoken to Tom Burns' social content creator extraordinaire, I want to speak now to Tom Burns' grandfather figure of the creator community, um, if that's all right. <laughs> I want to ask yes. a question. <laughs> Good. I want to ask a question about how brands get this space, right? Because you've been working in it for a very long time. You've seen worked on brand partnerships in your, within your content and and at Sitsi. What are the when brands get it wrong, how do they get it wrong? When brands get it right, how do they get it right? So yeah, some people will come around and turn around with this and be like, well, it's whether they pay them or not. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think it's how brands are actively supporting creators and showing that they're actually involved in the space and that they're understanding it. And it's not just a quick on the side addition to a campaign or a quick, we have um, to do some social media stuff. How's the easiest way to do some social media stuff and save our ad budget? Oh, let's get some creators to do this on the cheap or for free. Um, it's relations and ensuring people understand it. But I think it's also a mixture of who people are working with and targeting the right brands, um, what right creators, sorry. Um, so it's tough. I, I think the, the biggest one now for me is brands, um, as they're a lot more involved in the space and they're a lot more active working and they're accepting of social media and using it within their pieces through influencer engagement. Um, 
not enough brands I feel are using brand ambassadorships and working longer term with creators to show that creators genuinely care about the product. And as a result, some brand deals come across as very like hit and miss, they're gone, they're on the fly. Um, equally, yeah, some of the best brands out there that are doing it right are the ones that are definitely researching who they're working with and researching mm. the best creators for their platform. They're not just going, oh, here's a gaming YouTuber. They play games. Let's put them on our game. Oh, here's a beauty YouTuber. Let's put them with it. You know, they're researching which creators might have a synergy with that product. For example, if you're a beauty brand and you, you know, your, your makeup is not cruelty free, why mm. are you going to a YouTuber whose content is, you know, frequently advocating cruelty free makeup? If you're going for a gamer, um, and you have a game that's like you know, 15, 18 plus, you don't go for a Minecraft YouTuber whose content mm. is predominantly aimed towards children. Um, and some of the best brands out there are the ones who, so, yeah, some of the very best ones are the ones who are working and putting that forward. I also find that, that there's an almost delicious irony and sometimes marketing execs in their late 20s and mid 30s are signing off content that's aimed at people below 20 do you know what i mean and it's yeah it's, it's often a, a curious dichotomy where often the creator knows what will fly as long as the brand messaging well, is right yeah and that's the one thing i probably should have said before as well is, is you know brands some of the best brands are also the ones who understand and respect that the creator knows best of their content and their audience you know if, if you're getting a content creator to create a piece of work for you or you're working with a creator you're doing it because you want to work with that creator and target their audience. If, they, if you then shoehorn that creator into a piece of work that you um, yeah, change to make not look like their piece and overly commercial when they're actually advertising you in their own fun, quirky way, it loses the magic of being that influence piece. And I think a lot of audience members just tune off because it's just so in, inauthentic um, in many ways. Whereas, yeah, some of the best pieces, the ones where I've seen, like, for example, Tom Scar does some amazing brand deals where he's just often let just creatively fly and create these amazing yeah. um, film pieces. Um, it's that sort of thing where just let the creator create. <laughs> yeah, completely. Tom, in all the years of Sitsi, what are you most proud of? Um, what am I most proud of? I think, like, you know, selfishly, I'm proud of the event having gone for so long and mm. somehow managed to keep my sanity. But on a yeah, on a separate scale, like, yeah, I, I don't ever attribute what we've done with Sitsi to anyone's personal success. People have got their own success out there. But it is very heartwarming to see people who um, have been to our events doing very well. Um, people have come to our events um, in various stages of like, let's say we've given someone a chance on the stage when they weren't necessarily the biggest creator or we've seen collaborations form. Um, there are many people who I know of like, you know, like literal relationships with one another that have met at our events. Um, and you know, they, their, their first meeting was there or they engaged there. Many um, of these groups and, you know, collaborative friendships online through the events. Um, so that, I think that's the bit I'm happiest and proudest of is it, it's the community side and how many, you know, how, how much of that's carried over to people actually with what you see online now. So Tom Burns, one of the founders of Sitsi and still the, uh, the person that pulls it all together. Um, final section of our chat is to find out Tom's rocket fuel, some actionable insights, some takeaways into how to engage and understand youth audiences. Big question first, Tom, what do you know about young audiences? Cool. <laughs> I'd like to think a lot um, in terms of like content consumption and um, 
you know people they watch fans and audiences and also just the general interest in bringing them getting them involved in it um but at the same time i'm also not a young person so a lot of what i, I learned from <laughs> the young audiences is very much about consuming content seeing what they're watching seeing what's popular and listening in on conversations that come via our surveys and such and things we put out there um feedback from creator fans and also feedback from just seeing the general discussions that are happening online we're, yeah no one's expecting that <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're in an age of what marketers talk about as brand purpose what do you think is important to young audiences um, I think for young audiences, it's very important for them to feel understood right now and have uh, brands out there that are pushing things that are very much, you know, speaking to them and engaging with them actively, uh, supporting the causes they stand for. And, you know, outside that, I think it's very important that it's there's an almost educational element of ensuring that it's helping to foster the education, not just a quick rush and grab, take advantage of the young audiences who are crazy. It's, it's things that they can almost get involved in actively. Have you noticed what's changed in the behaviour of young audiences and what do you think might change next? Um, so, yeah, um, I don't want to say that young audiences weren't creating content before, but definitely there's a lot more um, uptick in young audiences diving in there and creating their own content. Um, so I feel that in terms of uh, you know young audiences, there's definitely an uptick in content creation. Um, there's more people who want to get involved. Uh, several years ago, it would have been very easy for me to look at it. And, you know, admittedly, I think like some others, some people would go, oh, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up, you know, five, six years ago. And you'd kind of be like, uh, you know, a lot of people and a lot of our peers have taken years to get there. Don't skip university to try and do that. And now I think it really is a thing where, you know, content creation is so, there's not even an age limit on when you create content. It's acceptable just to create content almost any when it's acceptable you know within moderation and i think being safe online to mm. dive in and be immersed in social media because it's become such an important thing now um that it's just completely shifted i think young audiences are a lot more active and they're also far more switched on and far more engaged with many of the causes and many things that are happening now um they're educating themselves a lot more than you know i'd say young audiences were when i was um creating content early days Mm. And you know, they're getting immersed in deeper content and more meaningful content. And you know, there still is the fun content out there, don't get me wrong. But definitely, they're, 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 if anything, it's showing me the, the inspirational breadth of knowledge and awareness that young people have nowadays. Um, I, you know, not just to thank social media for that, but I think it brings it to light big time. Which brands, when talking to young audiences, get it wrong and which brands get it right and why? You don't have to name and shame, but you can if you want. <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't name and shame. Um, but I feel that the brands that get it right are the ones who, you know, they're, as I said before, they're not necessarily as tone deaf to who they're working with and how they can um, create that work piece that almost is the right way. And especially with the recent algorithmic shifts, you know, the YouTube kids stuff, for example, um, it's, I feel how brands can, it's important where brands are able to make content that speaks to a young audience and can be applied to a young audience, but also it can speak to an all, it's more of a generic all audience piece of content. It's recognizing that the internet is consumed by everyone, including parents. So it's not just about, um, necessarily just targeting young audiences, but targeting more of a, a diverse range of the audience in a breadth of ages with safe content that might be neutral but creative and fun um the 
I think in terms of young audiences, the brands you get it probably not as right. Uh, maybe the ones that, again, to move recently aren't as, maybe creators might warn them and say like, you know, I've seen it firsthand with several creators. This might happen because of this recent algorithmic change, or I think I should do this because this might happen or the, you know, this might not go out in the algorithm. This video might not do well for this reason. Um, but it's very shoehorned into like, let's say like a policy the company might have around how they have to do this, how they have to do this, how they have to do that. And what happens is the content gets morphed into yeah. a way that it's not um, as consumable. It doesn't work with algorithms. And sometimes it can be very condescending. Um, it's the content of, equivalent of groupthink in the office, right? If it's yeah. not one person's full vision, it's dragged in too many different directions. That's the thing. Definitely. It's, you know, it's, it's how can you make it wider breadth and also understand that young audiences aren't just stupid. They're, you mm. know, they're, they're, they're very smart. They're very switched on. So, I, always, I always remember a mutual uh, contact, maybe even friend of both of ours, uh, Laura Bubble, talking about, I think she was asked to do something incredibly salesy for the brand. Um, not her exact words, but she broadly said, as long as you'll let me take the piss, I'll do it. And she did the most outrageously commercial thing. And it was kind of both tongue in cheek, but getting the messages across. It flew with her audience and the client loved it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because everybody was important. in on the joke. Yeah, yeah big time. Um, Tom, let's bring this to a close. One takeaway for everybody listening. What's the one thing you want people to walk away from our conversation, whether it be something you've said or something we've not touched on? Oh, oh tough one. I, you know, I, I, I feel like obviously from an industry side of things without like being the person that's pitching, like being like, pay more creators. I think it's definitely, um, I would love to see a continuation of what is already happening. Don't get me wrong. Um, massively happening. Brands just continuing to really support creators, work with the right creators, do more research into who they're working with um, and actually support them. Um, you know, the, the, there is, you know, if you're an agency, there's budget coming from the brand you're working with. If you're a brand, there's often marketing budget set aside. Don't minuscule social media as a small part of that and a little throw off where you can get a bit of free slice on the side. Actually, invest in that and help creators and help cultivate this you know this sector um because it's it's brilliant and there's a lot of growth and there's a lot of benefit in actually working with creators and putting your message out by creators but it's also not going to be good if a creator doesn't want to work with you because their experience is that it's always you know you're not going to support them financially in the long term or you're always going to expect this but not give Tom, where can people find you on social media if indeed you want them to find you? And where can they find <laughs> out more about Social in the City? Yeah, so uh, Sitsi uh, is at SITC on Twitter uh, or at SITC underscore event on Instagram. Admittedly very quiet at the moment because we're adjusting our events and getting ready to launch the new dates uh, with the pandemic. Um, personally, I am Tom RPI on Twitter and Instagram. Again, I'm terrible even though I'm a creator and immersed at uploading <laughs> and posting to Twitter and Instagram, but I do uh, frequently geek out with geeky uh, posts from me going to Disney and doing many other things because if I'm one of those many people that uh, treats it as views of my own, <laughs> it's my break away from the seriousness of my Sitsi accounts. Nice. Tom, thank you so much for being this week's guest. I really appreciate the time. Well, thanks for having me. So that was Tom Burns. 
fascinating discussion, really kind of insightful. I think what Tom was saying about the growth of the event as he's clearly grown as a business person and as a social content creator in that time as well. It kind of completes a three week special of looking at kind of influencer culture with Chris Stoke Walker, with uh, Lucy last week, head of talent from Glean, and now Tom from Sitsi. Next week, we're gonna go in a slightly different direction and it will be Josh Benj from KFC talking about KFC's social content and their marketing. So be sure to share the podcast, leave us a nice review, and um, yeah, we'll speak next week for another edition of Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.